This is Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois. The podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. And now here's your host, Navy SEAL founder of Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, Rob Dubois. Last week, we had the privilege of talking to my dear friend, Squirrel Steve Rosen, who was discussing the experience of surviving and thriving with PTSD. I love the flow of this, our episodes back to back this way, because today we're going to be talking about not only the experience of living inside of PTSD, but the way organizations can be rallied to support it in an effective way. And I, th- I want to stomp that, foot stomp that idea about effectiveness because a lot of our vets, a lot of guys who have read powerful piece in one case, another damn neck guy, I'll tell you about what damn neck and SEAL Team 6 mean, what the relevance is here in a minute. But another friend of mine who told me he was taking the cocktail and the VA gives you this massive or the, or the, the military gives you a massive cocktail of antidepressants or stimulants or whatever the the, the pattern may be of medications, and medications alone are often not the solution, often not the solution to PTSD or whatever. If there's a mental illness involved, we have people with ADHD and bipolar, and so meds are great if they're the right ones. But it, for, unfortunately, for a long time with our veterans from the global war on terror, the system didn't know what to do and just said, here's your drugs, take these drugs and you'll be okay, and they often were not. So in my, as we talked about last week and in recent episodes, I personally got in with the uh, program for veteran PTSD that's not the VA. It's called uh, Headstrong. Headstrong is a great organization, makes therapy available to people like me, and that's been making a huge difference in my life. So this week, following on the footsteps of Steve Rosen and the topic of being in PTSD, we'll touch on it, of course, as, as must happen in the topic of this episode, but I'm really glad to have not just one, but two. We have a power couple this week to talk about PTSD, TBI. We'll touch on other things than PTSD and organizations that can do something about it. So Marcus Capone, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and go back through the bios in reverse here. As I told Marcus in advance, I was going to touch on. We're talking about the organization of vets first, and then we'll talk about Marcus and Amber. So VETS was founded in 19, 2019 by Marcus and Amber Capone in response to the growing veteran healthcare and suicide crises. Marcus, a retired Navy SEAL, left the military in 2013 after multiple combat deployments. Marcus and Amber soon realized that the subsequent years would be wrought with escalating hardships, misdiagnoses, a broken veteran healthcare system, and desperation to find a meaningful solution before it was too late. That's what they do, among many other things. Now, who are they? When he was medically retired after 13 years and multiple combat deployments as a U.S. Navy SEAL, Marcus Capone and his wife Amber thought life would return to normal. Instead, their struggle had just begun. Marcus was experiencing an escalating myriad of challenges, including depression, isolation, cognitive impairment, excessive alcohol use, headaches, insomnia, and impulsivity. Marcus was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, but instinctively Amber felt there was more to be discovered. So after learning about the effects of blast waves, concussive, and subconcussive brain injuries, everything started to become clear. Marcus's military career as an explosives expert, combined with his prior years of contact sports, had left him with the invisible wounds 
of TBI, traumatic brain injury, a condition that significantly overlaps with PTSD and is often not properly diagnosed. And that is one hell of an intro, and we have a hell of a lot to talk about. And welcome aboard, Marcus and Amber. Rob, thanks so much. This is great to be here. Thanks for having us. It's going to be some important conversations. We have friends who are not alive now, and those are the invisible wounds you talk about in the bios. Do you know Frank Larkin or of Frank? We do know Frank very well. Frank is actually on our advisory board at Vets. and Fantastic. Yeah, be part of the, part of the mission. And, and, and so appropriate. So Frank, for the audience's benefit, is a former director of an organization I worked for, an agency I used to work for. And Frank was my director then. And I sent, went forward downrange to Iraq and Afghanistan for him and brought back good intelligence. And, and that helped in that environment. But very, very sadly, Frank's beloved son, Ryan, who came to my organization when he was a young buck, early in the Navy, excited to go to SEAL training. Couldn't wait. He was going to make it no matter what because Frank was a SEAL. And so Ryan was going to make it, no doubt. And then he did. Made it through with flying colors, went off to multiple combat tours and came back and suffered from terribly invisible wounds. And, and Frank, in recent years, since, since Ryan succumbed to those invisible wounds, Frank and his wife have devoted themselves to exploring the reasons why. And TBI has become a big part of their story, and and I'm glad you can speak to it much more authoritatively than I can. First, just to introduce the idea, I know Frank's talked a lot about, teaches a lot about micro tears, micro damage, and the invisible measure, hard to measure damage to the brain, right, with TBI. So can you give a quick sketch on PTSD, combat type, and TBI and the overlap that's mentioned in the bio? Yeah, um, I mean, without, of course, being... Uh a doctor at all. Well, you know, when I first visited the, uh, I guess it was a, the, the command psychologist, you know, he said, Marcus, you're the 200th person that have come to me in the past few years and you guys are all experiencing the same things. And he goes, honestly, like, I, I don't feel like I'm equipped to deal with it. I feel that there's, there's more to this. And, you know, we were all having the same issues. We were coming in, uh, we were angry, we were impulsive, we were, you know, we were forgetting things. People at work were asking us to, you know, asking us what's going on. You know, maybe you should go talk to somebody. And I mean, that's the reason why I went to go speak to the psychologist because my OICU just said, hey, I think, I think it'd be good for you to have a chat. And what, you know, what now we've learned from, you know, research papers, operator syndrome and others is that there, there is comorbidity here. There's, the years of, we want to call them subconcussive blows from whether you're pulling the trigger and the constant, you know, the constant of um, those sub, you know, subconcussive blows of, of bullets and, of course, you know, grenades and, and shoulder fired rockets and, and explosives and all these things that you may have not knocked you out, even though some have definitely been knocked out. These minor tears in the brain is really causing a complete, you know, causing our whole body to you know, get out of homeostasis and our endocrine systems all jacked up, our testosterone's low, which is causing us not being able to sleep. Uh, we can't think clearly. And so you go, you go see a doctor who's trained in a certain, you know, trained in a certain, certain way of, of a Western medicine approach of, well, a person comes in and they're telling me all these things and I, I identify them as having depression or PTSD or whatever. But most of those doctors aren't they don't understand the whole traumatic brain injury aspect to this. And, and when you have overlapping symptoms for a doctor, it's really difficult to 
one diagnose and two then to even prescribe so what do you do at that point and you know we won't we i haven't even you know we can go into the brain centers and clinics that i visited you know outside of just seeing regular psychologists but the overlap you know the, at least from the the va's perspective what you mentioned earlier is they you know they give us the the concoction of antidepressants ssris and along with that you know i left i left my first brain center while I was still on active duty, I think on four medications. And when I went through my, my psychedelic treatment years later, I, I think it was on 10 at that time. But initially it was, it was some SSRIs, Ambien to go back to sleep, which I'd been on for years in the military and which I really didn't want to touch, um, but I was having trouble sleeping. Some Adderall so I can focus. And I didn't have, you know, I wasn't ADD or ADHD, but I just wasn't able to concentrate. And I forgot what the, the fourth one was. I think it was for, for some nightmares. And so you could put on these medicines and you think that everything's going to be okay, but they're not even thinking about traumatic brain injury at all. And so, and then they didn't even take a, a scan of my brain, right? So you have, you have these, you come in with these issues and nobody's even looking at what's going on. I mean, when you come in with a shoulder injury, you know, they usually take an x-ray or then maybe uh, eventually an MRI and they look at what's going on in there before they start. They're not just going to cut you open. Well, we don't really do that with the with the brain or, or the head. Or when you come in and say, I, I've got something wrong between my ears. They just go, hmm, fill out this paperwork, this PHQ-9. Let's see what you have to say. And from those answers, they decide what they're going to treat you with. And I mean, it's, you know, mental health uh, only, I think, the number is 18% of all mental health professionals in the U.S. even diagnose and prescribe off of quantitative information. So the other, what is that, 82% are literally going off of either what they learned in the past, what they think is correct, and not really what potentially may be happening. And I think, you know, we need to get to measurement-based care down the road and you know, hopefully, hopefully collecting all this data is going to be able to, to provide some of those answers. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I started. That actually, as you mentioned, the overlap in the bio, and you mentioned in your own story, the overlap on PTSD and, and TBI, uh, I can look at that list. I go right down the list and I can check every box almost myself. I was never a breacher. I never got blowed up, you know, got hit plenty of times in, in the ring or in, uh, in football, but I don't know that I have any TBI concerns. I just know that I do have impulsivity, isolation, depression, alcohol abuse, <laughs> insomnia, nightmares. And, uh, and I also know that when I manage myself better, when I take good care of myself, those things happen a lot less. So there's the, the individual's responsibility to manage, you know, do what you can. In my, in my recovery program from my addiction, I talk, we talk about uh, halt, H-A-L-T, never let yourself get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. When we're watching for those indicators, we can say, okay, throttle back, at, you know, use a coping mechanism, whatever works, whatever the person's learned to self-regulate. But there's a huge overlap in the physical, physiological, and the emotional slash mental health. When you talk about TBI, it's a mechanical damage to the body. It affects the thinking. It leads to, in too many cases, thoughts of death is preferable to this pain the death of the pain of death is preferable to the pain of this life 
And then, and then there's also the very, the purely psychological, which is not mechanical, not physical of PTSD and how the person's been taught either as a child or as a abuse victim or, uh, or a, a combat veteran uh, has been traumatized psychologically. So it's a complicated place to explore. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I, I don't want to complain and say that you know, there's something wrong. I mean, I just think that they just haven't been equipped. And again, 20 years of sustained combat. And like you said, uh, this has been the status quo for however many years, 30 years or whatever, which, you know, individuals come in, they have these, they say the same things they get, you know, they get prescribed these medications and there's so much more to it. You know, that's why you have all these programs out there that are now doing hormone replacement therapy, because most of us that have come back at like 35 years old and you go to get your testosterone checked and it's below 300, it's, you know, that's like a 60 year old man. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that may not be correct. Maybe, maybe 65, maybe it's 55, but again, you're 35 with a 55 year old body or six year old it's there's something not right there. And so these are the things that aren't being checked initially. And so I'm, I'm happy that there are programs out there like, you know, warrior health, Sean Rosario is just doing an amazing job. I think really helping guys get access to different type of treatment modalities that are really helping full like mind, body, and soul. Um, you know, we pick up the piece on the, on the psychedelic medicine part, but you know, Sean's helping out on the, on the, on the, on the hormones. And so, you know, it's it's a it's it's a holistic approach. We need to take a holistic approach to to healing, and well, it's about the whole person. I mean, yeah. you're literally describing that, and we don't acknowledge that, especially in the teams. I mean, God bless it. We are, you know, tough up, suck it up, rub some dirt on it, you know. And of course, you were at Damn Neck again. I mentioned that earlier to the the audience. This Damn Neck is our internal phrase for what uh, the marketplace calls SEAL Team Six. Uh, I wasn't. We're both in ordinary teams, in line teams, and whatever whatever level of of macho you're doing in the SEAL teams, Green Berets, the Rangers, the infantry, wherever you are, there's this subculture of don't talk about your pain, especially in the elite units. Because if we like, if I if I told the truth about my first bad landing at Fort Benning, when I snapped my ankle, and and stood on it with a with a, what turned out to be a severe sprain, but I put my my parachute in my arms and ran back and asked for another parachute because I, I wasn't going to get down. I wasn't going to say, I, God forbid, I would stay at Fort Benning for a few more weeks while I healed my ankle. So I lied about it. And 25 years later, my P, my physical therapist, like, dude, this needed serious PT 25 years ago. My shoulder, I went 10 years on a torn rotator cuff with severe tears. Because I don't want to talk about it. And as you talked about shoulders earlier, we lie about the things that will down us. Yeah. Did you finally get treatment with that? What's that? No, I, I actually need to go get a, an MRI. <laughs> right on. That's People overdue, are, isn't it? And, and lately, I just I can't even move it. I'm going, man, how much scar tissue is in this thing? Yeah. When, my, when I do push-ups, it sounds like somebody's walking on, on, on packing uh, foam. Yeah. <laughs> Throughout yeah. My, from my wrist to my shoulders, it's just a crunch. But we need to keep active. So we lie about our injuries, especially the mental ones, especially the, the the emotional stuff. Like, I don't know if I can cope. You can't go talk to the chief or the commander about that. It's not, I mean, couldn't, couldn't yeah. generate. You couldn't. And you're right, Rob. I think, I think 10 years ago, we couldn't. And I think, you know, I, I believe it's changing now, but it, it's only changing because, you know, you're out here 
you know, doing podcasts and, and, and speaking to the world about these different things. And, you know, and Amber and I are out there doing our thing with, you know, mental health and psychedelic medicine. And the more, you know, my job here is to educate, to talk, to let people know that one, they're not alone. Like, you know, guys like me who've, I think I've had a decent career, you know, in the military and, and a decent athletic career prior to that. And I, you know, I hit a point where like I was struggling so bad and I, I needed to ask for help because if I didn't ask for help, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here. Like, let's be honest, because like you mentioned earlier, when you look at your family, you look at your kids, you look at your wife, you look at what you put them through, like all those years on deployments and, you know, and I commend the guys. I tell the guys I quit after 13 years or, or was had to quit guys that have done, you know, 20 and 30 years and, and friends have done over 20 combat deployments. Wow. You know, those individuals put their families through so much more. You just feel like, you know what, they'd be better without me here because it seems like when I'm around, they're, you know, walking on eggshells and, God forbid they say something wrong, you know, we might blow our tops for mm-hmm. no reason. Milk spills on the table. Oh my gosh. You know, you think the world is coming to an end. And so, you know, having those thoughts and really saying, you know what, like, I'm just a, I'm a burden on everyone and I shouldn't be here. And I tell you what, if I didn't, you know, if Amber didn't do the work behind the scenes, trying to find out like there's more to this, like, these pills aren't working. These brain clinics aren't working. Um, at least for me, they weren't, uh, they were just m- making me more, um, annoyed, uh, angry, uh, frustrated at the system that, you know, she was going to solve the problem. She's, she, she was going to figure out, uh, what, what, what can we do to help Marcus? And, and thank God she did. And so, you know, I just tell people that, you know, when you're having those low points, you, you know, you gotta, it's not that bad, you know, it might be bad right then and there, but it's, you know, there's, there's so much, there's so much more stuff out there that, you know, a moment of, of weakness, a mental weakness, if you want to call it, uh, is nothing to compare to what really is waiting for you, waiting for all of us. And so the more we can you know, raise our hand and say, Hey man, I, I just, I, I just need a tune up, you know, like I, right. I go to the gym to work out my body. I take some protein and some creatine and I feel great. You know, like there's something going on between my ears, right? There's just something not right in the head. Uh, I'm not damaged. Like I may have something that is damaged, but like I'm not damaged as a whole person. And so, hey, just give me what I need. What do I need to do to fix this? Do I need, you know, do I need to go see a psychologist? Do I need to talk to a therapist? Do I, um, you know, if there are medications out there, like you said earlier, those medications do do good for, for individuals that they work for, but it's half the population they don't work for. So, if it doesn't work, well, what else can I do? Can I do yoga? Can I do meditation? Can I go take a walk? Um, sometimes people don't want to do any of that stuff. And so that's why I always feel what we do is the nuclear option. We, we get individuals that have really tried everything. And so, you know, we send them down to Mexico to a, just a beautiful retreat to go do psychedelic medicine, which really kind of restarts the central nervous system. I mean, it gets you back to, you know, to reset. And it allows you to want to do these other interventions. So, I definitely wanted to dive into that that that, that theme. I mean, alternative therapies. You know, beyond the beyond the drugs, beyond the pills, beyond the 
therapeutic interventions that are done behaviorally. What do, you know, our, as you said, our healthcare system has been struggling to catch up. There are people like you and your team with vets who are going into psychedelic plant-based therapies and other alternatives, others meditatively, um, you know, uh, I'm not sure if you know Michael Vega, but he's, he's, he's huge on teaching meditation. He'll just sit there as big brawny old Navy SEAL guys like, Hey, we're going to find some peace and tranquility, right, man. And it seems paradoxical, but again, we're talking about the whole human, the whole human, this whole person thing is mind. It is. We talk in, in, in powerful peace and in, in impact. We talk about body, mind, heart, and soul. The whole person needs a tr- attention. The whole person may need uh, may need some form of medicine. In fact, uh, the Native American tradition talks about medicine, you know, medicine man, in a spiritual tradition, a spiritual concept. It's not about taking this pill that Big Pharma just pumped out so they can make a few more billions. It's about like, yeah, you need this peyote, you need this, this, uh, this, uh, maybe a meditative walk, maybe you need a, a, a sweat bath. It's the whole person being treated. So I am, as I mentioned, in recovery. I, I chose to not kill myself with booze and drugs anymore. And people like me on some recovery path are oftentimes squeamish about going in these directions of using psychedelics. Friends of mine, I've never heard a bad example from anybody who's done it. And a lot of SEALs are doing it and other combat vets. You guys are leading that charge. You're in that space. What can you tell the the listener about as far as some of the surprising results from using this other way? Yeah, thanks, Rob. First, I just want to say you mentioned, uh, you know, my brother, my mentor, my uh, kundalini yoga coach, Mikhail. Um, you know, he's also part of this journey, really. Right on. You know, he and, uh, sorry, <laughs> you know, he and uh, Kirk in the background, uh-huh. you know, uh, worked with Amber to, uh, to get me the, you know, get me the, the help I needed. And so, you know, those guys are, I'm indebted to forever because again, if it wasn't for them, you know, and you know, who knows, we wouldn't be here chatting and, and, you know, and they they had mentors and they had individuals that stepped up to help them, you know, when they were struggling with, with their stuff. So when you mentioned Mikhail, you know, it's just, he's, he's been such a, a guiding light for me and for Amber and, and all of us. But yeah, I mean, he was one of the first, like he went and he decided to go sit in the jungle for, for weeks and months on end to, to really work out the stuff that he was going through and, and brought those teachings back here. And, you know, he's been teaching now up in, up in, up in LA for eight years. And, and uh, I, all my meditation and my yoga practices, I I've learned from him. And, but again, I, I wouldn't even have started that stuff without plant medicines, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and plants, I don't believe are the only thing, but, but psychedelic medicines. Right. And I think when all else has failed and even before that, you, know, you don't even have to go down that route. You know, these medicines are so powerful. Like they are, they are life-changing. I mean, that, that why we're here today is because, you know, after I was able to, to have my treatment, literally that weekend, I turned to Amber and I just said, this is, this is exactly what the guys need. Like I've been on these medicines for seven years. I've talked to, I literally can't tell you how many psychologists I've talked to prior to that therapists uh, on active duty and off active duty, several brain centers, like all of it, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which by the way, I think is great. Like I wish I had one of those in my house, 
but we're not talking about something that is like that radically life shifting than, than psychedelic medicine doing the drug by yourself. Like you were talking about big pharma, it's not the answer. And I don't, I do believe that, that, that chemists will be able to pull certain molecules out of these drugs and maybe eventually turn them into like certain pills that people can take and, and maybe not. But right now today, if you don't do the proper integration, excuse me, preparation before these psychedelic journeys and then the proper integration afterwards, you know, you can, you're, it's, it could be a recipe for disaster. You want to do these, you know, you want to go into these experiences with all the tools and all the information you need and all the preparation that you should, because these medicines are powerful. They've been used for thousands of years, as you mentioned, you know, native Americans and, and, and those cultures in, in, in South and Central America, they use these like when they need to, right. They use them to solve problems. They use them coming of age. They use them for, for, for diseases, they use them for, for mental health. And um, you talk to most of these folks and they'll look at you crazy if you tell them to use them on a regular basis for like as recreational drugs. Right. So, you know, it's nuts. Uh, I think the only two psychedelics and they're not even, they're not true psychedelics in terms of like tryptamines or classic psychedelics, or MDMA and ketamine, you know, MDMA will be federally legalized within the next year. Uh, it's in phase three trials right now. And ketamine is already approved in the US off label for major depressive disorder. Those are the only two quote unquote psychedelics that are addictive in nature and can be used and, and ha- potentially have a, a chance for, for addiction, which you know, we just have to be careful that what happens with those drugs, which by the way, are healing you know, tons of people, but we don't want an opioid crisis to happen again, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, we do hear a lot of bad stuff about opioids, but they are still, you know, when you, when your knee gets like filleted open and you need something to help you for a couple of days after surgery, like that's what it's for. Right. But it's not to be used for the next three years after. You right. Know. Right. So again, everything could be used like they're supposed to be. And then everything could be abused. And we just have to remember that. That's a big part of my path, personally, as a person in recovery. I need to make the decision. I do make the decision on a daily basis what I'll use and what I won't use. And that's why I mentioned, you know, feeling squeamish, mentioning that term about any psychedelics, because there's an old uh, association, psychedelics, hippies, uh, dropping acid. I think I did that once when I was drunk. I'm not sure. I think I snorted coke once when I was drunk. My story of drugs is much minimal compared to the constant onslaught of booze into my system, but... But because there is that association, I have to be mindful of how I walk into this. I have no doubt. I've been, I've, like I said, I've heard nothing but very positive experiences, radical, abrupt transformation. And I think the key to it, what you're describing, whether it's plant-based or a toad or something, you know, other, other organic process, whatever the substance is, when I was addicted, when I was actively using alcohol in an addictive way, it was to escape the pain of being alive. What these substances you're talking about do is remove the pain of being alive radically and abruptly, remove a, a lot of what is, is torturing a person. And so it, I mean, anybody can misuse anything, but, but the, the, the substances that are non-addictive, you're talking about the psychedelics that are non-addictive, it makes complete sense. I would, like I use, I use codeine after a serious surgery, have my shoulder put back together, I'm cool with that. I use uh, NyQuil. When I'm really sick and I got to sleep because 
as Kirk would say, you got to sleep. Sleep is the first thing. That's the first thing we can do for our wellness. So psychedelics will probably be part of my life in this medicinal way at some point in the future, if it seems appropriate, you know, like I'm doing my other behavioral therapy. I walk through that process myself too. So it's just amazing to see the range of possibilities for people that are in need, the whole person. Yeah, Rob, like you just said, if you need them, right? Not not everybody needs them. And I think that's the other piece that people get, you know, number one, we got to shift our, our thoughts away from that. These are recreational drugs. These are, again, yes, they're recreational, but so is alcohol is recreational drug. And so is, you know, again, I go back to opioids and I, there's a ton of other stuff and Xanax and Valium and all these other things that people use for both recreational and for what they're intended to use for. We just have to remember these are medicines and use them as medicines that can be abused as recreational drugs. The great thing about psychedelic medicines is they actually get people off of their addictions. That's what's fantastic about it, right? Where, you know, uh, smoking, alcohol, opioids, you know, I mean, I go on and on, um, you know, people are addicted to addiction comes from a place in your, in your mind. There's a reason why you're addicted in the first place. So it's like, well, exactly. What's going on here? Uh, many of these deep psychedelic journeys, by the way, that are, are are not fun, that are like a lot of work, and you're, you know, you're in a bed or resting in some type of pallet because you're you're on the, you're on a heavy, heavy dose of these medicines. When you're on these medicines, they they tap into your subconscious and they reach down and they make you deal with some of those traumas that potentially can be causing you to have that addiction. And so if you can face that trauma and deal with that experience, you may come out of that journey not addicted anymore because you've mm-hmm. dealt with the initial reason why. It's like a woman who gets treated bad as a, at a very young age or something has happened at a young age where now that woman grows up and is in these constant uh, horrible, horrible relationships with men, it all goes potentially back to that one time that she may have had a traumatic experience with an individual and now it's caused her now to constantly end up with these individuals. So maybe you take that woman and she, she prepares correctly. She goes through this psychedelic experience. She deals with that first individual that she had these crazy traumas with. And now she's set back on a path of freedom where she doesn't have to go into those relationships that are kind of like bringing her back to, you know, but she's not even thinking about that because it's so ingrained in her, in her neural pathways. Yeah. That's, that's actually a big part of my story too. Relationship issues based on early trauma, which uh, I recently, I didn't, uh, I didn't throw a flashbang into the room of my relationship. I threw a frag into it and it was directly, well, there's a lot of story behind it. We uh, specifically, I can tell you this back to the VA and the, and the horror stories about the VA. God bless them. I know there's a lot of amazing people doing the very best they can to help us. But I recently had in recent months had an awful situation with a VA PTSD therapist who appeared, walked me through some of the stuff, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and then disappeared, ghosted, vanished. And I couldn't reach her. And she'd stirred up all the stuff inside and then walked away without processing it. By God's grace, like I said, I had this headstrong therapist who jumped in and took over and said, I got you. But Thank God. Talk about yeah, because I could have been heading for suicidal ideation. I was having nightmares after nightmares. I couldn't sleep for nights on end. I was just, and I, and I basically <laughs> fragged my relationship, but thank God I've got an amazing human being who's Rob, a partner. I just hear that. Because like how many others are that, is that happening to you? 
right? Right. And how many have died from it? Some They can't explain themselves anymore. I can. I'm alive to talk about it. And that's what the psychedelic experience does. And that's why the integration afterwards is literally so key because you're, you're going to come out of there exactly what you came out of, of that experience where you had, it just, it can't, it brought up all these emotions and like past traumas that all of a sudden, maybe you're not, you weren't thinking about, but you need to deal with to move on. And now you're, you're a person who's supposed to be helping you like goes away. Like, yeah, that's a recipe for disaster. And that can lead to more addiction, uh, more bad relationships and, you know, and, and potential for suicide, which is you know, the, the worst. And speaking of healthy relationships, <laughs> we've been talking about you, Amber, but I want to talk to you. I want welcome. Welcome. First of all, thank you so much for being here with us. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Fun to pop on here for just a few minutes. During yes. The thanks for having Marcus and thanks for inviting me to join. Well, you are not what's the word I want to use. It's too easy for people to assume gender-based thoughts about boys and girls, about husbands and wives. Too easy for people to assume that, per- that person, that spouse is some sort of an attachment or a subordinate or an afterthought. But you are an equal partner in everything we're talking about today. Your part is unique. Your part is superior in what you dealt with, what you acknowledged and what you could recognize about Marcus that he couldn't possibly see. And that's what I wanted to to ask you about is just to dive in there real quick, because there's probably going to be some partners of PTSD, combat PTSD and TBI folks who hear this and they're going to, they're going to want to know what they might be able to do. You know, we talked in the bio, how you, so you, you said up front, you know what, PTSD, great. VA, meds got it, but there must be something else here. And that, that determination revealed a lot more. Yeah, I think it's so important to, you know, like we're from a community of very good soldiers, but also very unconventional thinking individuals. And so I think that that goes for both the guys and the spouses. It's very much the case for me. I also was at a point where I was so desperate and feeling like I couldn't do this anymore when, um, and, and I also realized that at some point, my no quit attitude was impacting our kids. And so when our daughter, who was, I don't know, like an adolescent at the time, said to me, Mom, how much longer do we have to do this? I realized that, you know, my my no quit mantra was negatively impacting my kids. And so then I was faced with this cr- incredible challenge of wanting to help Marcus and not wanting to quit. but realizing that I had responsibilities as a mother too, and this wasn't sustainable for me in my life. I wanted to know that I had tried everything and I certainly had been thinking somewhat outside of the box, but you know, I got really serious really quickly about just looking at this situation from a different lens. And I'd say, you know, about myself when I'm determined to do something, I'm definitely going to find a way to do it. And I was determined to save Marcus and save my marriage, but not at the expense of my children. And so started thinking outside the box, started getting Marcus into some other sorts of treatment that was actually perpetuating everything, you know, it further into decline. And, uh, during this time I was also praying, praying for a miracle, praying for a solution, praying to see Marcus through different eyes. And I, I don't take any credit whatsoever for anything that has happened over the last seven years, because it has just, supernaturally been brought about. And I was, I felt like my heart was just transformed. I was able to see Marcus through different eyes and I was able to see myself through 
eyes like of awareness. And I, I came into awareness that I was not handling Marcus in a way that was increasing the likelihood of change. And if anything, I was pushing him further into the corner. And so my tactics of guilt, shame, condemnation, really, you know, threats, ultimatums, that wasn't working. And so when I finally approached him in a manner that, that did work, I was able to see his struggle. And I, I, you know, his responses back to me, I could see that those were, you know, totally in self-defense because I was backing him into a corner more or less. And so when I approached him through grace and love and said, I, I will fight with you every day for the rest of your life. You've got to fight with me. He finally came on board all the shaming and, you know, guilt tripping that definitely didn't work. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, that approach of we're going to do this together is what finally got him on board. He was still very skeptical. And honestly, so was I, I just, you know, it was twofold. I really wanted it to work. I didn't know if it could, but I also wanted to know that I had tried everything because it felt like we were going to lose him. And I knew that there would probably be a self-forgiving process that followed that. And I wanted to know that I had tried everything to help him. We didn't know what this was going to do for him or for our family, let alone, you know, for hundreds of other veterans, but it's been pretty, pretty supernatural in all the days since. It's been very blessed. I think it's so important to talk about that supernatural, the spiritual, the higher power, the divine intention, because that's a big part of my sobriety. You know, I, I believe sincerely, as do many other drunks and druggies, that I would not be sober but by the grace of God. It doesn't mean I'm a robot. It doesn't mean any higher power said, zap, you're sober, and you're going to stay that way because I'm forcing you to because you're an automaton. It says... You have a chance, zap. Now go do the fucking work. Mm-hmm. And the work is mine. If I don't do the work, I get exactly what I deserve. This is so important for us to talk about the fact that there is some grace, as you're talking about, being able to extend. Skepticism is a natural, natural byproduct of painful experience. If nothing else worked before, it's easy to assume nothing will work. And we can get trapped in that belief. And that is very, very damaging because it, takes away the motivation to keep trying and what you guys are providing today is is an example of how to keep trying it doesn't one phrase i heard recently is everything's going to be okay in the end if it's not okay it's not the end (laughs) that is encouraging so true there's always something you can try i think that and i'll just say this in closing as i have another call starting um that i i feel like everyone has a god-sized hole in their heart nothing will fill that except god psychedelics are in my viewpoint, a rocket ship to experiencing the supernatural. And, you know, some people get right there. Some people take, it takes a while. Some people may never get there. I don't know, but you know, I I certainly feel that reestablishing a spiritual connection or establishing a first time spiritual connection is a huge part of the vets program. Over 90% of our recently polled uh, respondents reported that their psychedelic experience was spiritually significant. And that to me is what Western medicine, pharmaceuticals, common approaches will never get to. It's the God thing that science won't ever be able to explain, rightfully so. That is everything. It's the birth of this. It's the sustainment of this. It is all that's to come with this. And it's it's been pretty surreal to be a conduit of that and just to surrender to that. 
We'll get there as a people, as a species, we'll get to that understanding or we'll get back to it. Our ancestors are like, of course, there's a spiritual dimension to our life. Of course there is. Like you say, of course we'd use psychedelics to do this medicine, but why would you use it for, for a high? You know, we, there's so much wisdom lost in our generation, but we're rediscovering. Our lives, so many of these uh, are plants. They're alive. You know, they have similar makeup as, as humans and we we certainly are all part of the same gigantic ecosystem um i right. think that you can get there without psychedelics it just takes a lot more work and commitment so i had been on my own spiritual journey and it went down 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 bottomed out and then started to come back up every single bit of that downward spike was absolutely necessary it wouldn't change it yes. for anything if you right. look at a mountain and a valley, there's beauty on the top, there's the summit, and there's beauty in the valley, there's there's lush growth. Like it the valleys are equally as important as the summit. And I, I feel like, you know, had I not been on my own spiritual journey and really just trudging through the valleys by myself with God, I wouldn't have been able to understand and appreciate the summit. So and we're still working up up to that. It's a it's a journey that has no finish line yeah. and that's the one of the most beautiful things about it so we talked about that last week with steve rosen the ptsd guest uh, was talking about you know the dark the dark times are the most valuable that's where you get the true value it's hitting bottom for a drunk you don't get well you don't get better without hitting bottom so you guys are setting a hell of a pattern here i really appreciate it so much and and uh and i want people to be able to reach you how do they get back to you marcus how do how do people learn about vets and how do I, they, they learn about what you guys are up to and stay in tune? Yeah, it's great. They can visit uh, visit the website, uh, vetsolutions.org. We have just a ton of resources there for individuals. It's where uh, veterans can apply for grant scholarships. We give somewhere between 150 to 200 a year, depending on what the budget calls for. Um, we've moved more, though, into a, into a research and advocacy role. So we're putting a lot of resources into studies like we're doing at Stanford and Ohio State, um, data collection and some other things. And of course, you know, speaking on the Hill and talking to lawmakers to try to bring these medicines, just really to have access here in the U.S. So go to the website, vetsolutions.org. Uh, we've built an e-course that's just phenomenal. The e-course gives you basically a Psychedelics 101, how they started, how they were intended, how they're being used today, uh, how they've been misused in the past, in the 60s. But it's great for individuals to come in and if they don't understand anything about these medicines, can just really get a, a great crash course. You're not even a crash course, a real course on on the history and how they're used. That's perfect. VetSolutions.org. I want to point everybody to that. Open your minds, you know, dear listener, <laughs> open your mind. This is, we're talking about going beyond your limits on every episode of this show. And that's what this is. This is going beyond limits. It's opening. I want to, I want to touch real quick. There's something I talked about and you've touched, talked about it here, Marcus. In the front of Powerful Peace, Navy SEALs Lessons on Peace from Lifetime at War, I wrote a, a, a single page called A Personal Letter to Veterans and Recruits. I'll skim through it really quick. Page Roman numeral 22, A Personal Letter to Veterans and Recruits. Before we get into a book about making peace for your neighborhood and your nation, I want to take a moment to speak to a very special class of people, the veterans, or those who will serve. It's a noble calling. Your body, mind, heart, and soul have been scarred or will be scarred by the transformation into a warrior. You may be in pain, struggling with a lost limb, lost peace of mind, or a lost friend. Talk about it. Talk about it. A trusted friend, a professional, 
We have learned, you, Marcus, and I have learned the hard way, and some of our brothers and sisters, that we are not islands. We do not get better by solitude or isolation. I, I'm, I'm never going to stop wanting solitude. I'm sure of that. It's been 56 years so far, and I love to be alone. But I am made better by community. I'm made better by partnership. I believe sincerely that I, as much personal development I've, as I've done over the years, nothing, nothing in the world can so affect me, uh, affect me in, in, the, in personal growth as relationship. A unique challenge set. When you're dealing with your life partner, a lot of stuff gets stirred up. <laughs> and you have to face it or flee it. And facing is stronger. Yeah, we need our tribe, our community. And, and like you said, I, I love to isolate too. We think that we're better when we're isolated. But I feel, you know, as you just said, when you're having some of those down days and you wind up talking to a, a close buddy, you're, you know, that loop is is diverted. And, you know, because that's what, of course, the, the loop that, that, the, the voice inside of us that we, we're constantly battling. We, we need that tribe and that community and those individuals that we can speak to, 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 to break us out of the rut that we're in, even though if we want to stay there. And so we, we do need, uh, we need mutual support from our friends and family. And this is, I mean, thank you is not a big enough phrase for my appreciation for you two coming on today and talking about this and sharing the ideas. It is all I have. Thank you. So <laughs> we'll use yeah, that. Today. No, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just full of gratitude that I was able to, to just be a part of it. So thank you, Rob. And thanks for what you're doing here and, and helping, helping others with your voice. It's an absolute privilege. And I thank God for the breaths I have remaining. If it's five minutes or five decades, we're going to do our, do our best to make a difference here in the world. And Absolutely. Uh, the listener, you know, you're, you're hearing some powerful, powerful stuff here. Don't, don't let it just go in one ear and out the other. Open your mind. Listen, this is about going beyond your limits. Whether you are the partner of a PTSD, TBI person, whether you are the person, whether you know people, whether you just want to be aware as a human being, you're going beyond your limits if you pay attention and listen to this stuff. And so listen carefully and we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois, the podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. For more information about Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, visit impactactual.com. And be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen so you'll never miss a show. We'll see you next time on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois.